Hi, and welcome to the Collective Impact Podcast. A collective impact is when communities collaborate, share resources, and learn together in a structured way to create equity-enhancing change. I'm Mina Yildiz, and I founded this podcast to uplift the stories of historically marginalized groups and people within the Madison, Wisconsin community, and to celebrate their work in helping create a better world. I invite listeners to pay attention to how systems of oppression impact people's experiences and to be aware of how these systems may affect your life or the people around you. I hope this podcast can inspire listeners to share their own stories, nurture their passions, and become a part of creating systems-level change. Hi, I'm Marianne Olson. I am the Executive Assistant at Expo Plex Incarcerated People Organizing. And I'm very happy to be here, Mina. Thank you. Thank you. Could you tell us your pronouns and also your professional role? She, her, and executive assistant at Expo. Could you tell us what Expo stands for? Expo is ex-incarcerated people organizing, and we are exactly that. We are all formerly incarcerated people. Thank you so much. And we'll go later into the um, podcast. We'll talk more about what Expo does and all of that. But first, I wanted to do the icebreakers just so we could go over a quote or a phrase or a personal saying that means a lot to you and then why it means a lot to you. Thank you. I was really excited about this question. At Expo, our motto, where, well, not our motto, our saying, what we say always we have the right to not remain silent. That means so much because if, for me, I spent most of my life afraid to speak out, afraid to ask for help or express anything that I, I was terrified to. And now I recognize that my voice has power. And that's an amazing feeling. That is. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, our voices are such a strong part of our identities. And um, a lot of this podcast is just uplifting those voices. So I feel like that saying is just very intertwined with the mission, both at Expo and then also what I'm hoping to do here. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so now that we've done the icebreaker and the introduction, we can go into the personal background just so we know a little bit about who you are. Um, so the general question is, who is Marianne Olson? But um, to be more specific, I wanted to talk about a little about your background and then where you grew up. Okay. Well, I am Marianne Olson, as I said. I am a wife. I am a mother. I am a grandmother. I am a learner. I I believe if a day goes by and I haven't learned something new, I screwed up. And I, I you know I need to do better. Um, I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin. I for years always said I was adopted, but learned. Later in life, I was actually given away. I was not legally adopted. And unfortunately, I I did grow up in a very violent home filled with a lot of abuse. And it did impact my life for a long time. Um, but today I'm a survivor. 
that's who I am. I love that. Yes, you are endurance surviving. These are such human um, qualities to get where we are. I feel like our backgrounds are such an important aspect of where we are and who we are at this very moment. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, also, I agree 100% about the learning thing. Being a lifelong learner is such an important thing. Um, there's just so much to learn about everywhere in the world. And no matter what your age is, no matter who you are, the ability to learn is just so important. Um, so thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I wanted to talk about a memory from your childhood that you feel is very significant to who you are today and how it really helped you get where you are now or what you've learned from it? As a child, I had to keep moving, be safe. I had to be constantly on guard. It taught me to be ever vigilant and for a long time, it hampered me in a way that I didn't recognize. I was living with what they call post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and I didn't recognize it. And I became a workaholic. It created many challenges for me that I did not recognize until I actually faced the trauma. Facing it head on can be very difficult, but I think that is one of the first steps to healing. Um, but yes, I, I agree with all of that. Thank you so much. Um, so then the next part would be some of the lessons that you've learned throughout this journey of um, during your growth and what you feel like you've grown the most from, from those lessons. I can honestly say I've probably learned more in the last year and a half about our own worth, our own inherent dignity, and what we deserve. The biggest thing I've learned, we not only deserve to ask for help, we deserve to get the help we're asking for. And I've learned that through my work with Expo. And it's changed my life. That's so wonderful. I love how Expo carries all of these important sayings and um, values. Thank, yeah, thank you. And then, so the last part about your personal background then would be mm -hmm. um, discussing, you know, why did you choose to study criminal justice or social and criminal justice at university? Prior to my incarceration, it wasn't an interest, honestly. Um, I chose to learn about social and criminal justice after coming home from prison because I had to understand what kind of system would teach anybody to do what happened to me and what I saw happening to hundreds of women and now learn that it's thousands, thousands of people. I wanted to understand 
the rationale and the justification behind it. How was that process when you were learning it? Um, did it bring back memories or did it inspire or did you see any, like, did it teach you something that you were able to bring into your work in Expo? It taught me a lot. I, I learned that in this country, we do practice a very punitive model based on deterrence. And I learned that in other countries, they actually practice a model that's based on restoration and reconciliation. And so now, because I understand this and have research behind me of years worth of work, it's elevated my voice again because I can say, but well, wait a minute. If if this is what they have proven to work, why are we still doing it this way? Why are we still wasting tax dollars when we know there are better ways? Uh, that's that's really great. I, university is such a wonderful place to be able to explore and understand at a deeper level the things that you're already interested about. Um, so that's great that you're able to. Um, so then now that we know a little bit about you, the next part would just being able to understand your professional role a little better. So I we talked about why you chose to study social and criminal justice, but what made you very passionate about reforming the criminal legal system? I've seen the impact of incarceration. I've lived the impact of incarceration. Halfway through my sentence, I had moved from suicidal ideation to suicidal planning because I had been put in a place for making poor choices, which I regret. I was in a place that had reduced me to a number. My first name was no longer able to be used. When you are incarcerated, an average person will make between 3,000 and 5,000 choices a day. You make less than 500 when you're incarcerated. That toll became too heavy for me. And I almost gave up. But then there was a divine intervention and I discovered the name of my boss now in the Wisconsin Blue Book, followed by, in parentheses, re-entry coordinator. And I recognized there was something out there working to correct what I was living in. That name was Jerome Dillard. And he is the executive director of Expo, and I am now his assistant. That's wonderful how that process works. Um, that really links to one of the questions about what led to your involvement in Expo um, and the transition. So I wanted to hear about the transition between what you initially did into your current uh, uh, executive assistant to the director's role. 
Thank you. When I came home from prison, I went through the process of applying for many, many, many jobs. And even though I was qualified and even in some cases overqualified, I was not hired. And I was not hired because of my criminal conviction. This, again, took a very heavy toll on someone who, prior to my conviction, had run a business since 1997, was very successful, was a workaholic. I then made the decision to go to school, and it was while I was in school, I again became aware of Expo, and I was invited to an event in 2021, in the fall of 2021, and it was an event that was going to discuss extended supervision, which I have a 21-year extended supervision sentence. I am on extended supervision until 2040. So I wanted to go to this event. And when I got there, I was the only woman at that event that had been released from prison and had a home to go to. Every other woman there was released homeless. And I recognized the only reason I also was not released homeless was because my husband didn't leave me during my incarceration. That's the only reason. That's not right. When I saw that, and then recognized the inequalities, the barriers in place, I knew this was where I had to be. And I've been with Expo ever since. That's a powerful story. Thank you. Um, that um, So during your experience, well, before we talk more about your role, I wanted to also understand a little bit more about other um, difficulties that are faced by people who are formerly incarcerated once they're released from the penitentiary system. Um, I was wondering if you could share that with us. The challenges of employment for housing are immense. Just the punitive nature, unfortunately, is intense. I live with a great deal of anxiety, fear of violating a rule could send me back to prison. My mother lives out of state and is in her late 80s. And if something were to happen, I could not leave and go to her without permission. So on Saturdays and Sundays, I'm constantly, please don't let anything happen. Please don't let anything happen because I couldn't go. That's just one anxiety. Um, when you also recognize if you're revoked for, for breaking a rule and go back to prison, even though I've been home over five years 
and have had no contact with law enforcement, have been doing everything I'm supposed to. I am the model. I, this is what we want to happen, right? None of this time would count. None of this time would count. I would serve 21 years in prison. If, even if it was on year 20 and I had been home 20 years doing everything I was supposed to do, if heaven forbid I'm revoked in year 20, I'm doing 21 years. I would be over 100 years old before I came out of prison. That's not a logical system. In Wisconsin, our truth in sentencing system allows no incentive for doing good. It really doesn't. Nothing you do can shorten your sentence. It's a very hopeless, hard place to be. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it sounds, it's such a, like, just hearing your story, the restrictions, limitations that it puts onto people and also the way that it doesn't see a human being in a holistic view um, and is just so focused on a single thing that can lead to so much more suffering. Um, hearing, uh, being aware of this prior, but then hearing your experiences directly really drives home just the extreme inequity of the system and the way that is structured. I, um, so yes, I feel like I'm saying this so much, but thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for your vulnerability. This is such an important part of the process and I really appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so then we can continue on um, if you feel comfortable doing so. Um, yes would be just to talk about your roles and your responsibilities currently at Expo. I, as I said, I assist the executive director, Jerome Dillard. And that means really just all the operational functions. And I have the honor of also working with our website because that's what I did prior to my conviction. I, did, I was a coder and I built websites. That's awesome. So I take care of the Expo website and the operations within Expo. And I have the opportunity to work every day with some of the most amazing people. I've discovered when we come home from incarceration, all we want to do is help others. Um, it's really an amazing thing to see and to witness, to watch restoration and reconciliation happen. It's priceless. And the purpose in my life now, I can't wait to wake up every day. It sounds like such a beautiful and uplifting environment at Expo. Um, and also, it's amazing what you do with the website. I was looking at it earlier, and it's just a very beautiful website. It really catches your eye. And it's amazing that I can do coding. I definitely try to learn, and it's a very difficult process. So it's very it is. Thank you. Of course. 
Okay, so now that we've talked about your background and your roles and understanding your position in Expo, I also wanted to learn about the background of it and the history. So I was curious about how Expo Wisconsin became what it is today. It's an, it's an exciting story. Expo actually began as an idea almost two decades ago with Voices Beyond Bars and Jerome Dillard and Tamara Oman. Jerome is the founder, one of the founders of Expo, and he founded Voices Beyond Bars, which was just a group meant to be there for formerly incarcerated people. Um, when you think about it, you can finish an education. You can finish a debt. In Wisconsin, you can finish a marriage if you want. But a conviction, you can never finish. It goes on and on. And he recognized that. He's also formerly incarcerated, which is something that makes Expo so unique. From our executive director down, we are all formerly incarcerated. And we live as a family. And in each one, teach one process. And so Voices Beyond Bars formed and grew. And then he, Jerome, went into, literally went into reentry work with the DOC, as did Tamara Oman. But in 2014, a, another nonprofit in Wisconsin called Wisdom began a campaign to reduce Wisconsin's prison population to cut it in half. And the campaign was called 11 by 15. And there was also a campaign um, restoring our communities. It was through those campaigns that Expo, Ex-Incarcerated People Organizing, was born roughly 2014, 2015. And in 2019, they began the process to become their own 501c3. And in 2021, May of 2021, that happened. And Expo was officially born as its own 501c3. And that's where we are today. And now we have three major campaigns. Unlock the Vote, which for everybody who's watching, please go to our website, go to Unlock the Vote and sign our petition. We are going to present to the governor a pet our petitions. We are hoping to get 50,000 signatures and we will do it. That basically, not basically, that will restore voting rights once someone comes home from prison. I pay taxes. I am doing my part. I should have the right to vote. We're Americans because taxation without representation doesn't work. Our second campaign is Locked Up on the Outside, Prison Without Walls, where we talk about extended supervision. Did you know 
Wisconsin has the third highest length of extended supervision sentences in the Midwest and sixth highest in the nation. As I shared, I myself have 21 years of extended supervision and all the research shows if someone has not committed a new crime in five years, they're not going to. So 21 years doesn't feel rehabilitative. It feels more like a setup. Our third campaign is safe, dignified housing with peer support. We recognize there is no safe, suitable, dig, real, a good safe place to come home to when you come home. So we will, we are searching for property now in Madison to open our first women's reentry home. And then we'll open a men's home and then we'll be spreading across the state. So we have a lot going on. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I will 100% make sure to link all of those campaigns in our research page, and hopefully a lot more people can get engaged with them. Um, and that really connects with the next question, too, is the mission and the vision of Expo. Um, on top of the campaign, campaigns, is there anything additional that Expo really um, is like designed to want to address or wants to provide a message to the public? Yes. Currently and formerly incarcerated people are people. We've made bad choices, but who among us hasn't made a choice they regret? Throwing away a life isn't the answer. We are not abolitionists and we recognize that for a small portion of the population, they have to be taken out of society to address the issues of what happened to them. We simply ask that incarceration be the last option, not the first. And we recognize reconciliation, restorative justice to be the answer. And I'd like to share a statement that I wrote, if that's okay. 100%. Um, reconciliation is a complex set of processes that involve building or rebuilding relationships, often in the aftermath of massive trauma or destruction, crime. South African theologian and leader Desmond Tutu said, True reconciliation is never cheap, for it is based on forgiveness, which is costly. It is not forgive and forget as if nothing wrong ever happened. Instead, true reconciliation requires a full understanding of both the details and consequences of injustice. True reconciliation, Tutu reminds us, exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the hurt, and the truth. He continues, it is a risky undertaking, but in the end, it is worthwhile because in the end, only an honest confrontation with reality can bring real healing. Individuals who come from backgrounds of privilege often believe there are easy answers to problems such as racism, 
child poverty, immigration, or mass incarceration. What's missing in this superficial view is a deep understanding of the lasting effects of generations of exploitation and exclusion on cultures, families, health, education, and relationships. To achieve real healing, we try to do these three things. Practice deep listening and unequivocal forgiveness. Work to repair the damage done by years of injustice. Build lasting bridges across the racial, geographic, religious, and other divides that separate us. Another South African author and anti-apartheid activist, Alan Payton, put it, we must forgive and go forward building on the mistakes of the past and the energy generated by reconciliation to create a new future. That's what we live at Expo. And we believe the concept proposed rejects traditional justifications, both retributive and utilitarian, as we discussed, for imposing state punishment. We suggest and said that the purpose of state intervention in criminal matters should always be to achieve peace among the participants and restore losses. That's restorative justice. And at Expo, we not only believe this works, we've seen it. We see it every day. I have personally lived the change of being recognized of a person of value and worth. It's a wonder, it's, it's a wonder to behold and we all deserve it. Thank you for letting me share that statement. Thank you for sharing it. That was incredibly um, inspiring and the way that I really linked in with what Expo is doing and your own personal experiences and what in history, what people have believed and what people have said. Um, it was just, it's a, it was, just so great to be able to hear it from you. So thank you. Um, so then to continue about the background, you shared so much, but I also want to hear about some of the work that Expo has done to end the mass incarceration. Um, I understand that the campaigns are going on, which is a really great way to do so. But um, in what ways are you able to promote how individuals can fully participate within communities after being formally incarcerated? Well, we have fellowship groups. We work, we walk, our peer supports work and walk with those that come out of incarceration every day. Um, our events are there in our meetings and chapter meetings. We have chapters across the state that we meet monthly, sometimes every other week. And then we have statewide meetings every month. It's really just a matter of seeing seeing each other for our value and worth. Just that recognition, that acknowledgement, it changes everything. Thank you. It, it, sorry, I'm writing this down because that's just wonderful uh, way of putting it. Um, 
And I feel like I've learned so much about Expo, the background, the history about your role and everything. So I feel like we really covered a lot of ground about the background of Expo. So which brings us to the next part, which would be the need. So I was wondering about more so of the system and how that works. So how does the penal system perpetuate in human practices? Let's look at what's happening right now within the DOC. We know treatment and alternatives and diversions to incarceration for every $1 we invest, we save $8.68. Yet in Wisconsin, we are currently incarcerating over 20,000 individuals, many of which on drug crimes who should be in treatment. Our neighbor, Minnesota, we have the same population, yet we incarcerate twice as many. Why? Right now, we know due to understaffing in prisons, men and women are being locked down 24 hours a day. Movement is limited. This is not, this is not what helps a human being. This is not the answer. And what we are trying to share is let's do what works. Locking people down, throwing away a life. It's not the answer. Allowing them to walk with peer support, allowing them to get the therapy they need Asking them what happened to you first instead of why did you do what you did? This works. That's what works. Thank you. Yeah, um, for both sharing how, what, what exists, like how this system exists and the way that it perpetuates the inhumane practices, but also what does work and what should be replaced with. Um, for individuals, um, how does the penal system affect their livelihoods, their social navigation and family life um, after being uh, released from the incarceration system? It's hard to find a job. It's hard to find housing. Sometimes family has left. It's, it's very challenging. Just just to give an idea of how devastating it can be, the Prison Policy Initiative recently shared an individual incarcerated just three days, 46% will lose everything. And everything means home, employment, and family. That's after just three days. I work with people who have been incarcerated 30 years. They come out and have to start to start a whole new life. Can you talk about some of that stigmatization and the barriers that follow people who are formerly incarcerated um, and then how that affects their ability to be able to thrive in the communities, especially after losing so much um, due to their time? We see it. It can lead to reincarceration. It can lead to unhealthy behaviors such as alcohol or drug addiction. Unfortunately, it can even lead to suicide. 
we just lost our associate director December 4th. He had served 27 years and he had come home 2019. And it was just too much. And he took his own life. We're human beings. We deserve, who doesn't deserve a second chance? We all do. It's hard. It's very hard. I'm so sorry for your loss. It's so unfortunate how the system creates these mental health disparities as well, um, both physical, mental, emotional, social. It creates so many, so many difficulties. And being able to talk to you and understand it from both your experiences, from the people that you know, their experiences, and then within the organization that you work in, this has been incredibly educational for me and hopefully all the listeners. So thank you. Um, but that does thank bring you. us. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to the last part about Expo. So talking about Expo, which should be the future. So discussing what the future could look like and what we want it to look like. Um, so the first question with that would be how restorative justice differs from retribution um, and what makes it that important alternative approach um, to promote healing within our communities. Healing people heal people. Restoration. If at Expo, to be seen and recognized as someone of value and worth, that my voice matters, I then can look out and see others with that same. When you're not recognized, you, you live in a world where you are just surviving. to see and recognize my own value and worth and what we do, that's what happens to, I've watched it happen with our fellows that come into Expo. They, they come in quiet like I did and soon they're sharing and recognizing their voice matters, they matter. It's beautiful. Restoration is about healing for both parties, acknowledging what happened, accountability and moving forward, making sure we know now the right way. We don't know what we don't know, but we can change it and move forward. Thank you. That last sentence particularly, it was very powerful. Um, and healing is such an important process in so many aspects, um, not only within the community, within ourselves. Um, and 
so the next question, which would link to that as well, is in what ways can the cis, like the systems that exist, um, work towards ending the mass incarceration and replace that with restorative justice practices as a means of healing? And then what steps can us as individuals um, take to support the goal? Treatment, 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 alternatives and diversions. Well communities are safe communities. If we can stop for a moment and recognize this is a human being, most do not wake up in the morning and decide to hurt someone. It's often a choice that has come out of a survival technique. Let's recognize what happened, heal that, and then teach and move forward. We can, it is possible. They're doing it in other countries. We can do it here. We will, we will. <laughs> we will, I believe that, yes. We do too. Um, so then the last question for the future would be, um, what is Expo's ideal vision for the future of the criminal legal system in Wisconsin? Oh, that prisons be replaced with places of learning and growing and treatment. Prisons could be academies to relearn. Wouldn't that be beautiful? That would be. Yeah. I love that vision. Um, we would love to eventually, we want to go national. We're Expo of Wisconsin. We need an Expo of all 50 states. Wouldn't that be great? Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> you will. And that a part of this too is, you know, uplifting the voices that are here in Wisconsin, but also what they can be on a national and on a global scale, um, the work that is being done within our communities and how important it is for it to expand. Um, so I, I have so much hope and I can't wait to see what Expo will be in just a matter of time. Um, but that does wrap up the portion about Expo and that brings us to the final part of this, in, uh, of this podcast, which would be, um, Going back to you and understanding um, what you can uh, tell us as listeners to me about advice or wisdom that you have for people who have gone through the criminal legal system and how they can thrive and move forth from it. Okay, well, then I'm going to share something a little specific to Wisconsin. Since 1980, Wisconsin has increased the incarceration rate of women 897%. 897%. We've been putting women in jail at an increased rate of 1,008%. 1,008%. And I promise you, our mothers, daughters, and sisters are not out committing crime at an increased rate of 1,000%. We can do better in Wisconsin. We need to recognize that women are most often the caregivers of, caregivers of the children. 
And according to Wisconsin DOC's annual report for July 2022, 87% of the women currently in Wisconsin prisons have some form of traumatic background or mental health disorder. Is that really what we want to do as a state is locking women up who need help? rather than being put in a place they want to die. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And that's that's what we're going to change. We're going to we're going to fix that for men and women. But that is an incredible increase that I don't believe most Wisconsinites would agree with or want in our state. Thank you. Thank you. And then that brings us to the very, very last question. Um, and in ways how we can heal and how we can grow as a society to be more inclusive, but also aware of these existing discriminatory systems. For a second year, a second time in 10 years, Wisconsin has been recognized as locking up more black men per capita than any other state. We can do better. Who among us has never made a choice that they regret? No one. And when we recognize that, we've all made mistakes. We're all human. We can do better. We will. Thank you so much for your time. This was the Collective Impact Podcast. To stay on top of any updates or to learn more about who we are and what we do, please check out our website, which will be linked to whatever platform you're listening to this on. Other affiliated links will also be available. This was your host, Mina Yildiz, and I hope to see you next time.